You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, February 23rd, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change location, and access things you'd otherwise be geo-blocked from. If you're a UK expat, you want to access BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all for whatever it is, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to be and keep your data safe from the miscreants and ne'er-do-wells who lurk on the interwebs trying to steal your personal information. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code ROUTER50 to get your router half price. Delivery worldwide from libertyshield.com. ROUTER50 at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use, use the codes EPL10 and RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, uh, two games in the Champions League last night, uh, two games tonight, and a bunch of Premier League games. So let's get straight in. Chelsea 2, Lille 0 in the Champions League. Quite a strange game, this one. Chelsea went 1-0 up, a Kai Havertz header on eight minutes. Before that, they'd had two good opportunities that they spurned. But Havertz, who has become a scorer of big goals rather than a big-time goal scorer, gets the opener for Chelsea, playing as a false nine. No Lukaku in the team. Chelsea lined up with Mendy, Christensen, Silva and Rudiger as their back three. Aspilicueta, Kante, Kovacic. And Marcus Alonso across the midfield. Zajic, Havertz and Christian Pulisic in attack. And I said last season, when he was playing in this role, this is the role for Kai Havertz in a 3-4-3. Chelsea look a much better team when he is the guy playing as the false nine. Now, at that time I thought, go and spend your money on goal-scoring wide players. 
turn Kai Havertz into your version of Bobby Firmino. Unfortunately for them, they went and they bought Romelu Lukaku. Now, I love Lukaku. I think he's an outstanding number nine. But they've not used him properly at all this season. And with the way Tuchel has set this team up, it's very hard to get Lukaku into a situation that suits him. Unless you're willing to go 3-5-2 and play him up front with pace and movement, which would be either Werner or Christian Pulisic, it's not really going to work for Lukaku in a back three setup the way Tuchel wants his team to play. Now, there are ways you could make it work that could get more attacking players in. You could play a 3-4-1-2 and play Havertz behind Lukaku and Werner or, uh, or, and, or, or Pulisic. But then where do you put Mason Mount? Mason Mount in a double pivot isn't ideal and Kovacic is a better player in a double pivot than Mount is. They also don't really have a defensive midfielder to do that. The Kante-Jorginho partnership works in this 3-4-3 setup because the two wide forwards tuck back into midfield. The same thing when it's Kante and Kovacic or Kovacic and Jorginho. They need that extra solidity. You won't get that if you play Lukaku, Havertz and... Um, and Werner say as as a, a one and a two up front but from Chelsea's goal I thought Leon were the better team for probably 25 minutes Ronaldo Sanchez if he didn't have hamstrings made of string cheese he would be one of the best midfield players in the world and nothing will change my mind on that his ability to pick the ball up and just ghost past players his ability to drive the team forward, his ability to put others under pressure, to win the ball back, to be really aggressive, but always within the rules of play, doesn't commit many fouls, is very, very special. The issue for him is the injuries. If he didn't have those injuries, he wouldn't still be at Lille. It's been great for him going back to Lille, playing regularly or as regularly as his body allows, and winning a league title there after the Bayern Munich situation, which was never his fault. He was far too young when Bayern bought him. There was far too much pressure put on him. And Bayern also tried to play him in a double pivot. And the problem was they had better players already there for that double pivot. He's worthy of a top club. He is worthy of one of the best clubs in the world. It's just about the injuries with him. But Chelsea weathered the storm. They didn't allow Lille many shots on target. Lille only had two two on target in the whole game, though they had 15 to Chelsea's nine overall. They matched Chelsea for possession. They had more corners. And I did think they were the better team for, for probably 25, 30 minutes after the, the Chelsea goal. But Chelsea got control back, eased themselves back into the game. And in that second half, I, I thought Chelsea were the better team. And Pulisic made it two. On 63 minutes, a great run from N'Golo Kante, driving at the heart of the defence, slipped it to Pulisic. It's a good finish. It's a terrible celebration, but it's a good finish. And Pulisic can do this. Like, he can be a big-time player for you. It has never worked fully for him at Chelsea, in part because of injury, in part because he was managed by a PE teacher for the first 18 months he was there. But he hasn't fully gained Tuchel's trust, which is an odd thing considering how much trust Thomas Tuchel put, him in, put in him at Dortmund. 
and how much he lauded him at Dortmund. He was his biggest champion over there. People like to talk about the relationship of Pulisic and, and Klopp, but it was Tuchel who really took Pulisic and lifted him up to a high level. It was Pul- Tuchel who gave him the real opportunities. Klopp let him train with the first team. Tuchel put him in the first team. And we saw the results. If he could stay fit and get a consistent run of games, I think he could be a big, big player for them. The talent is there. There's no question the talent is there. It's a good win for Chelsea. It's an expected win for Chelsea. It's a solid advantage to go away with. You don't expect them to lose by two or more abroad uh, against Lille. So I expect that Chelsea will move on into the next round fairly comfortably. Villarreal won, Juventus won. I did say it, it stank of a draw. Uh, Dusan Vlahovic put Juventus one up on one minute. Really good chest control and a great swiveled finish. Crossed the keeper into the far corner. Very, very good goal. Great introduction to the Champions League for him. He didn't do a whole lot of much else after that. He had one other opportunity in the second half, but he was quiet aside from that. A lot of that was down to Juventus. I didn't like how they played. I didn't like the way they went about this game. They came in with a back three, which was was ugly. It was an ugly back three. Danilo and Sandro tucked in either side of Delict, Quadrado and Decilio. I mean, you're playing four fullbacks. What are you doing here? And like you've got Pellegrini on the bench, who's another fullback. He came on. But you had Benucci on the bench. You could have started the back four. It would have given you a better foothold in the game. McKenney, Locatelli, and Rabio as a midfield three. It's well balanced if they play well. They didn't play well last night. McKenney got hurt, broken foot. Rabio was just really, really poor. Really, really poor performance from Adrian Rabio and very lucky to stay on the pitch. He went over the ball against Chuck Wazy. I'm not sure what it was he was trying to accomplish, but it's a dangerous tackle. Now, Dale Johnson has said that because he doesn't make contact with the sole of his boot, the fact that the referee gave a yellow meant that it was unlikely to get overturned. Had he given a red, the red would not have been overturned either. It's just one of those incidents. Uh, Vlahovic and Morata started up front. Morata is just, he's a non-event. He's just, I, I just don't get it with him. Like, I, I, I get that people like he works hard. He's decent in the build-up play. But the guy can't do anything in front of goal. He's absolutely useless. He's, he's, he's a good player from 20 yards and out. And from 20 yards and in, he's absolutely hopeless. Now, Juventus didn't have much option last night, but they could have started Moise Keane. Like They could have started Moise Keane. They do have a lot of injuries. They did struggle to fill out their bench, but still. Um, on the flip side, with that Villarreal team, a lot of players here that people will be fully aware of, obviously, uh, but a lot of players who've, you know, well, four players, five players who've been in the Premier League and none that you would say were a, a real success in the league. Uh, Geronimo Rulli started in goal. Juan Voigt, formerly of Manchester City, started at right back. The fact that he wears number eight, I take as a personal personal insult. Uh, Raul Albiol and Pau Torres at centre-back. Pau Torres, one to keep an eye on, could be on his way to the Premier League in the summer. 
Alfonso at left back, uh, Chukwesi right wing, Etienne Kapue, Spurs and Watford. He was quite good for Watford. Didn't work from at Spurs. Uh, and Parejo in midfield. Parejo's obviously been around a long time, was at Valencia for years. Um, I think, was he a QPR? He might have been a QPR. I think he was a QPR. Danny Pareo. I think he was a QPR as a young player. Uh, he was. He was loaned to QPR back in 2008. So there's another one with Premier League experience. Uh, and Albi Moreno, Guy Drinkles, uh, spirit animal, playing left wing. Giovanni Lo Celso on loan from Spurs as one of a front two with Arnold Groneveld, who was obviously at Bournemouth, didn't have a good season in the Premier League, had a very good season in the Championship, and got his move to Villarreal, where he started really well. He's gone off the boil a bit, but still talented, no doubt. Uh, Purvis Estupian was also on the bench, formerly of Watford, never really played for them, couldn't get a work permit, was loaned out. I'd say he's probably regretting that move, given he rarely starts. But um, a, a good player, without question. They got back into it. A lovely Kapue ball over the top of the defence. Parejo running onto it. Nice link up between the midfielders. And on 66 minutes, it was one all, and that's how it stayed. It wasn't a particularly exciting game. I thought Villarreal were the better team on the night. But Juventus clearly have a lot more in their locker and a lot more to come from this team if they can get players back ahead of that second leg. I expect them to go through. Tonight, we have Manchester United versus Atletico Madrid in the first leg, which will be played in Madrid at the Wanda Metropolitano. Atleti are not having a good season. They're the defending La Liga champions, and they're currently fifth in the table. They have lost seven games this season. Uh, They've conceded 34 goals. These are very un-Atletico Madrid type of things. They were going quite well to the first 15 games, only one defeat, but they were dropping points in a sloppy fashion, 2-2 against Villarreal. That's sloppy for them. Now, they had to fight back to get that as well. It took a very, very late own goal. They drew 2-2 at Real Sociedad, and again, they had to fight back for that one. They were 2-0 down. Levante, who are dreadful, 2-2 again. A late goal conceded in that one. 3-3 with Valencia. You just don't see Atletico Madrid in these type of games. And in that one, they conceded two goals in stoppage time, having been 3-1 up on 90 minutes. Then they lost four in a row. Mallorca beat them. Real Madrid beat them. Sevilla beat them. And Granada beat them. Nothing wrong with losing to Real or Sevilla. But Mallorca and Granada, that's awful. Uh, 2-2 with Villarreal again. And again, it's just a bit of a sloppy game. 4-2 4-2 defeat to Barcelona. It's just really, really disappointing. And then losing to Levante uh, at home in a game that they were dominant in was just appalling. They did beat Osasuna 3-0 at the weekend. If you haven't seen Luis Suarez's goal, go and find it. It's very, very special. But, you know, like a 4-3 win over Atafe as well. It's just, it's not real. It's not what we expect from Atletico Madrid. It's not the real... Simeone, Atletico Madrid. This team is just not of that calibre. They're out of the Copa del Rey. They lost in the semi-finals of the Super Cup. They scraped through in the group stage. Um, a draw with Porto, a win away to um, Atleta, to AC Milan, and a win away to Porto. But they lost at home to Liverpool, lost away to Liverpool, 
and then lost at home to AC Milan. Really unlike them. There's obviously still talent there, like, but Jan Oblak is having the worst season of his career. It, he looks like he's been space-jammed. He really, really does. Uh, Jose Jimenez is still an excellent centre-back when he can stay fit. He's just not fit regularly enough. Renan Lodi is a good left-back, but he doesn't always get the start at left-back. The rest of the defence, you wouldn't be keen on. Stefan Savage, he's all right. Felipe, he's not very good. Hermoso, he's he's decent, not great. Mandava's okay. They brought him in from Lille. He's you know he's fine. I think Lodi's better, but Simeone does seem to like Mandava. And Rosalco was good four years ago. Was never really good enough to start for Atleti. He's still somehow knocking about, and he's. Still just okay. You know, in midfield, Kondogbi is decent. Rodrigo de Paul is very good. Koke has been great, not so much this season. Thomas Lamar is a quality player, but it hasn't worked 100% from Atletico Madrid. Lorente is good, but doesn't seem to have a position. Hector Herrera is decent. Yannick Carrasco is exciting, but he's inconsistent. Um... Yavi Serrano's young and impressionable. Up front, there's so much talent. I mean, this is a, a really impressive collection of attackers. João Felix, Antoine Griezmann, Luis Suarez, Angel Correa, Matthias Cunha. But Felix has been inconsistent since going there. Griezmann isn't the Griezmann that we all fell in love with a few years ago. Suarez is 34 now. Correa is having the best season of, of all of these attackers. And he's probably, after Suarez, he's probably the one Simeone loves the most because of how he goes about his business. But even with the career-best season, he's having 11 goals in the league, 12 in all competitions. He's not a big-time goal scorer. And Matthias Cunha, talented and all as he is, just hasn't, hasn't fully earned the trust of Diego Simeone. So they've got issues sort of in every line of the team. And that's led to a very disappointing season thus far. Manchester United also having a disappointing season. They expected the challenge for the title. They're in a battle for fourth. They've been better under Ranić. There's no doubt. They've only lost once in the league to Wolves. But they've had a really easy run of things. I mean, you know, Crystal Palace at home, Norwich away, Newcastle away. They drew that one. Burnley at home. Aston Villa away, Brentford away, West Ham at home was was the only really difficult game. They did win that one. Drew away with Burnley, drew at home to Southampton, beat Brighton away. It's a decent result. I was like, beat Brighton at home and then beat Leeds away. But that's a lot of bad teams they've played under Ranić. You look at the Cups, they went out of the FA Cup to lower league opposition. That didn't sit well with a lot of United fans. They went out of the EFL Cup at the first hurdle. They weren't impressive in their group, but still managed to top it. Bruno starting to find form. Sancho starting to find form. Pogba's back playing and looking decent enough. But they're going to be reliant on Cristiano again tonight. He's got 15 goals this season. If you were to look at it from the outside, you think that's a pretty good return. You know, 15 goals from 25 starts, that's not bad. But then you watch him play and you're like, geez, that is, that is particularly woeful. Um, 
He's also picked up six yellow cards this season, which is impressive. Uh, Pogba picking up six yellow cards in 14 starts and four sub appearances, even more impressive. There's a lot of a lot of yellow cards for United this year. Maguire has eight. Fred has six. Bruno Fernandes has seven. Luke Shaw has nine. Scott McTominay has nine. Was lucky not to get a red at the weekend. Nemanja Matic has played, what, ten starts? He's got three. These boys love getting booked. Absolutely love it. Given that this game is in Madrid, you would have to give Atleti the advantage. But they've been so poor this season that it is a big opportunity for Manchester United. A big, big opportunity. Simeone's been out with the mind games, talking up United, talking up Ranić. But he will expect a victory tonight. And if it doesn't come, I think there's going to be a big inquest into what's gone on at Atletico Madrid this season. Uh, the other game tonight is the one I'm actually really looking forward to. It's Benfica versus Ajax. It's two of the great European clubs. Uh, Benfica, obviously, two-time European Cup winners. Ajax, four-time European Cup winners. There's a brilliant um, kind of... It's, to call it a hype video would be wrong because it's centered around two boys playing chess. But on the Ajax Twitter account, go and follow or go and look at uh, Ajax's Twitter account and look at the video they've got about Benfica versus Ajax and these two guys. Just It's just them naming players from the past. And there's a whole bunch they left out. But you really start to get a feel of the history of these two clubs. And it's wonderful that they're both at this stage of the competition. And one of them will obviously go on. Ajax have had you know good runs in Europe of late. Benfica, they won a Europa League eight years ago now. Maybe eight. I think it's eight years ago, but you know, they're still they're still a truly great club. They're having a bad season. It must be pointed out. The third in the league. They sacked their manager um, back in December. They currently sit twelve points behind Porto in the league, which isn't ideal. They went out of the Portuguese Cup to Porto. They lost the final of the Portuguese League Cup to Sporting, uh, which won't have gone down well. In the Champions League, they beat Spartak Moscow and PSV Eindhoven to qualify. And to their credit, they finished second in their group. Drew with Dinamo Kiev, beat Barcelona 3-0, lost both games to Bayern, got a draw away at the Nou Camp and beat Kiev at home to clinch second place behind Bayern and eliminate Barca, which, you know, Barca aren't the same thing anymore, but it's still impressive. Um, a lot of players everybody will know in that squad, obviously. Um, Alex Grimaldo, quality left-back. He's been around a while and been linked to Premier League moves for a while. Jan Vertonghen is there. Uh, Valentino Lazaro, he was at Newcastle on loan. He's a decent player. He's there on loan. Uh, Nicholas Otamendi is there. He's still not very good. Um, Jean Mario, people might remember him from the Portuguese national team and he was at Inter Milan for a few years. Uh, Rafa Silva is another quality player there. He's having a pretty good season for them. Julian Vagel, remember when he came through at, well, he didn't come through. Dortmund bought him under Thomas Tuchel and he was absolutely outstanding. Was linked to Manchester City. Was linked everywhere was talked as talked of as the next Busquets, but then 
had the horrific broken ankle and has never really recovered from it, but still a solid player. Adel Trapped is there, still knocking about. He has been converted into something of a defensive midfielder. Darwin Nunes is the star, and I'll come back to him. Yeremchuk uh, is the other striker to watch. But the talent there is very, very good. It's just that the pieces don't fit together all that well, and they're heavily reliant on two aging, error-prone centre-backs. But Darwin Nunes is the real star here. 23 goals this season, 20 in the league, just having a sensational year. He is one that all top clubs need to be looking at for this summer. He has huge potential. While everybody is looking at Vlavic, I would prefer my team to look at him. If I'm Arsenal, he's another one that you should be looking at. I think he's a better fit than Vlahovic because he drops wide, he drops deep, he can carry the ball better. I'm I'm a big, big Darwin Nunes fan. And I think Benfica will cash in this summer for a, a serious amount of money. Brighton's loss was definitely their gain. Uh, for Ajax, they're top of the Eredivisie and five points clear, looking quite comfortable. Only two defeats in the league this season, both at home, funnily enough, one to Utrecht, one to A's at Alkmaar, but they have won their last seven in a row in the league. They're going well in the Dutch Cup. They're through to the semi-finals, and they've been winning games comfortably. Uh, 4-0, 9-0, and 5-0. So all going well. Six wins from six in their group, and it was a difficult group as well. Sporting, Borussia Dortmund, and Besiktas. It looked like when the draw was made, that would be one of the really tough groups, but they hammered Sporting 5-1 away, beat Besiktas 2-0 at home, beat Dortmund 4-0 at home, went to Dortmund 1-2-1, sorry, 3-1, went to Besiktas 1-2-1, and then beat Sporting 4-2 at home. Sebastian Haller is having himself a hell of a season. He has 28 goals in 28 games, which is very, very impressive. In the Champions League, he's got 10 goals already. 10 goals in the group stage. It's absolutely sensational. Anthony is one of the big talents to keep an eye on on the left wing, on the right wing, rather, left footed right winger. But there's a lot of other very good players in this group. Uh, Julian Timber, young centre back, worth an eye. Per Schurz, he's not playing as much this season. Last season, people got quite excited about him. He's fallen off a bit this season. Edson Alvarez has been transitioned from what he was as a centre-back into a holding midfielder and been really, really good. Davy Klassen is still there, still knocking about, having an OK season after the big failure at Everton. Ryan Gravenberch is a star in the making, but his form has dipped this season. Uh, Dusan Tadic is probably still their best player on a week-to-week basis. Mazraoui is a quality right-back. Daly Blind is still very, very good at that level. Um, who else we got? Mohamed Kudus, he's worked his way back from a knee injury, not had a particularly good season, but he's been a bit injury plagued, but he's one who's a big, big talent. Lisandro Martinez is one I really like. He's a little bit on the short side, but I think he's the perfect centre-back for Spurs in that back three. Uh, Mohamed Darami is one to watch in a Danish forward. Really, really exciting player that they brought in from Copenhagen. Keep an eye on him. If he gets any kind of run, he's worth watching. He's he's very much a fun player. They sold David Neres in 
January, which I was a bit surprised by, but I suppose it, it made sense for them considering his contract situation. Um, but yeah, this is a good IX team, really well balanced, brilliantly coached. Eric Ten Hag is one of the best young coaches in the world, and they're they're well set and they'll be confident to go ahead and beat Benfica tonight. Even in 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 Lisbon, I think I'd have to fancy Ajax to come out on top in that one. Um, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will look into the three Premier League games for for tonight. Uh, a little bit of news and the gossip. So, see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we have three games in the Premier League tonight. First up, a match day 13 game. Burnley against Tottenham. Bear in mind that match day 26 was at the weekend. So, this is a game that should have been played three months ago. Um, but here it is anyway. This one was, I believe, postponed because of snow at Burnley. I believe it was snow that had this game cancelled. Um, obviously, Burnley second from bottom, not having a particularly good season. This is one of their games in hand. It's a game they really do need something from. But likewise, Spurs really need the win here to keep pace with the teams challenging for fourth. Tottenham really, really need the win here. Very important game for both teams. Going in, Burnley have no Matthias Vidra. Tarkovsky's a doubt. Westwood's a doubt. Veghorst and Cornet, they hope to have fit. Charlie Taylor is a doubt. And Johan Berg-Goodmundson is ruled out. So it's a lot of important players. Tarkovsky's a starter. Westwood's a starter. Their front two, their best left back. That's five players who aren't at 100%, even if they play they're not at 100%. Tarkovsky and Westwood are just coming back off COVID. And we've seen players struggle in that first game or two back from COVID. So we'll wait and see. Uh, Vidra and Goodmanson, they could just do it getting back for that depth. Both of them can offer some quality off the bench. Goodmanson could be a starter, but Vidra, quality off the bench. Uh, Taylor is just by far the best left back they have, and they really do need to get him back because Eric Peters just really doesn't cut the mustard. Uh, for Tottenham then, Three players out, uh, Oli Skip, Jaffa Tenganga, and Regulon. Regulon has COVID, so maybe he gets gets back. But I thought Sessegnon played well at the weekend, so this would be another game to give him an opportunity, especially against Burnley, who won't attack massively from fullback. Connor Roberts gets forward, but when he gets forward, he also leaves a hole behind him. Um, given that this game is at Turf Moor, it gives Burnley a better chance. If it was at the Tottenham Stadium, you'd certainly fancy Tottenham for a comfortable win. But Burnley will cause Spurs problems tonight. Tottenham, though, coming in with momentum, with confidence, off that huge win over Manchester City, knowing what the job is, knowing what their aim is. Kane was incredible at the weekend. If he's even 70% of that tonight, I think Spurs get the win. I'll go 2-1 Spurs, but I do think it'll be a tough game for both sides. We've also got Watford against Crystal Palace. These are the 7.30 kickoffs. Watford, Noen Kulu, and then Kuka, Joe Pedro, and Atibo are all doubts. Uh, Joe Pedro has a knock. Atibo is just working his way back from that injury that's kept him out since, I think, September. And Kuka, I mean, it's a knock, but, I mean, he's just not very good and he shouldn't be starting anyway. Um, Crystal Palace, 
just the two players out, it seems. Unfortunately for them, they're both right-backs. Nathan Ferguson and Joel Ward both out. So you would guess Nat Klein starts at right-back. Uh, otherwise, they're at full strength. I'm really, really hoping that we get to see Elise, Zaha and Eze, or Elise, Eze and Zaha behind Eduard tonight. I'd really like to see that with Gallagher and uh, Will Hughes as a midfield too. I think that will be the way to go if you're Palace. This is a huge game for Watford. They really need the points, as with Burnley, you know, third from bottom. They did win against Villa. That was a huge result for them. I'd imagine they'll try and go with as, as close to the same team as possible. Palace could do with the win, though. No wins in the last five just starting to slip a little bit after what what had been a really promising first half of the season. I'd like to see Palace get the win here, boost their confidence, get them just that little bit more breathing room between that group below. And I think they will get the win. I think Palace will get the win tonight. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Palace win. Will Saha to score the goal. And then at 7.45, we have Liverpool versus Leeds. Uh, this one was to be played in match day 19, which was Boxing Day. Uh, the Watford Palace one was 18, which was the week before Christmas. Um, Liverpool committed this game with only Jota and Firmino out, whereas Leeds, as always, have a bunch of players out. No Cooper, no Phillips, no Bamford, no Greenwood, no Hjeld. Robin Cock, a major doubt as well. You'd have to fancy Liverpool. You really would. I've done a more in-depth preview over on the... Daily Red podcast on AnfieldIndex.com. If you want to listen to that one, that's there. But I'm going to predict a Liverpool win. I think it should be a comfortable win as well. Leeds are terrible defensively. Liverpool are the best attack in the league. Leeds are the second worst defence. That should just lead to goals at one end. And uh, I think Liverpool will win this game by three or more. So that's what I'll go for there. Uh, Should be a good night of games, though. Three different types of games for you to uh, to have a watch of. I think Tottenham-Burnley will be quite a tight game. I think Watford-Palace could be a bit of a dramatic game, given where Watford are and how Palace have been struggling a bit of late. Liverpool-Spurs, or Liverpool-Leeds, will be the more exciting game. It'll be the most open game, because I mean, Leeds just are open in every game. And Liverpool will, I think, quite happily feast on the, the space that will be allowed by Leeds playing man-to-man and not having Calvin Phillips there. And without the threat of Bamford, it's really hard to see where, where a Leeds goal comes from unless uh, Rafinha does something spectacular. So we'll expect a comfortable Liverpool win tonight. Um, as far as news go, UEFA are likely to move the Champions League, but they say at the moment that decision has not been made, has not been discussed. I'd imagine it's been discussed in hushed tones behind closed doors. They just don't want to poke the bear, so to speak, right now. Uh, Jose Mourinho has been given a two-match touchline ban after being sent off at the weekend for comments made to a referee during Roma's 2-2 draw with Verona. Uh, he basically accused the referee of match-fixing, and he made a telephone gesture towards him and his, oh, I didn't realize this. His father, the referee's father. So the referee was Luca Pareto. Pareto? Uh, his father was Pierluigi Pareto, who was involved in the Calciopoli match fixing scandal 
in 2006. He was one of the referees found to have been bought off by Juventus. Mourinho also said, did Juventus send you? And apparently that is uh, reason enough to give him to give him a two-game touchline ban. Poor old Jose. It's been it's been a strange season for um, for Roma this year. They're not bad by any stretch, but they're currently sitting in eighth in the league. They're six points behind Juventus, who are fourth. They've played the same amount of games. They've drawn their last three, but they are unbeaten in five, to look at it that way. But they had a lot of bad results early in the season. They've lost nine games this year. It's a very un-Mourinho thing for them to have conceded 34 goals, which is 16 more than Napoli, who've got the best defence in the league. Of the teams in the top half, Verona have conceded 42, but they don't really care about defending. Uh, Torino, 26. Fiorentina, 34. Lazio, 40. But that's Sarri. That's fine. They've also scored 53, which is you know, pretty impressive. Uh, Atalanta, who, again, not really a team known for the defending, have conceded 30. Uh, Juventus, 23, despite some calamitous stuff going on there. Napoli, 18. Inter, 22. And Milan, 28. You would have expected Roma to be a lot better defensively this year, especially considering there are some very good defenders there. But unfortunately for Roma and their fans, Mourinho has a certain distaste for younger defenders, I think is a fair way to put it. Um, Marash Kambula has only started seven games in the league, and I would say he and Roger Ibanez should be the starting pair. I really like Roger Ibanez. I think he's very good. He's only 23. Uh, Kambula is... Now he does start regularly, but Kambula is 22. Just turned 22 recently. And he's not gotten much run. Uh, there's been too much Chris Smalling. Um, there's been plenty of Gianluca Mancini, who I don't mind, but he's not great. A lot of Rick Carstrup at right back. A good attacker, but not good defensively. Vigna, the left back, I do like. I think he's, he's quite good. He's quite aggressive. Um... You, know, you look at, there's a lot of talent in that Roma squad. In midfield, Cristante's decent, Pellegrini's excellent, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a good player, Vertois is a decent player, Villa fans might disagree, but he is. Zaniolo's sensationally talented if he can stop getting himself sent off or blowing out his ACL. Amadou Diwara is one who really should have moved on by now. He's far too good to be sitting on the bench. Uh, Eduardo Bove is a, a really good find for Roma this season from their academy, only 19. Uh, he's made a couple of big impressions thus far. Uh, Mkhitaryan's there. Tammy Abraham's been pretty good, 18 goals this season. Uh, if he could get some help and attack from Perez or El Shuari, it would it would really be a, a big, big help to everybody. But yeah, I, I did, did expect a bit more from Mourinho's team this year. Um, but they just lost too many games in the league. And it like they lost to Hellas Verona, that's a game they should win. They lost to, to Lazio in the derby, that's fine. Lost to Juve, that's fine. Lost to Milan, that's fine. Losing to Venezia is unacceptable. Losing to Bologna is unacceptable. Losing to Inter is fine. Losing to Milan again, and then Juventus, they're fine. You can lose to those teams, but you can't be losing to Hellas Verona, Venezia, or Bologna. You just, just can't. 
can't be dropping points at Hellas Verona or at home to Genoa or home to Sampdoria, who are just dreadful, absolutely dreadful teams this year. Genoa are second bottom with 16 points. Sampdoria are 14th, but they've won two of the last three to vault themselves up the table. And they've been having a terrible season. Venezia are fourth from bottom. They're not good. Bologna are 12th. They're not particularly good. Mourinho just needs to get, maybe he just needs to go and manage an international level or retire from management and do punditry. I don't know, but whatever it is, it, this this can't this can't carry on. He's he's spoiling one of the all time legacies, which really isn't isn't ideal. Um, this is a weird thing. BBC are doing this as part of a podcast, and they're putting together uh, building football's most exciting young eleven. Now they're not picking the likes of Mbappe. Haaland, Sancho, etc. They're trying to go outside the box. So bizarrely for their number nine, they went with Julian Alvarez. He's a talented player, no doubt, but there's you know, Adiemi, David, Nunes, Vlahovic, Isak. These type of guys are far more warranting of a position in this team than Julian Alvarez. For some reason, they've decided on three defenders three midfielders and a front four because apparently they're playing FIFA. Um, but the weirder thing is for the right winger, they picked Florian Verts, who's just not a winger at all. And if he was going to play out wide, it certainly wouldn't be on the right wing. You could play him on the left wing. But in this lineup, he's basically a wing back. And that's an atrocious use of one of the best young players in the world. Either play him in midfield or don't pick him at all. Um, yeah, anyway, that's enough of that. Moving on to the gossip, Real Madrid are still confident of signing Kylian Mbappe and plan to announce it at the end of the season. If the Spanish club fail to sign the Bruce, fail to sign Mbappe and Haaland, they will turn their attention to Sadio Mane. Does that mean if they fail to sign one of those two, they might go for Mane? That's interesting. Arsenal are interested in signing Joe Felix. Makes absolutely no sense. I would imagine it's not true. The Gunners' hopes of signing Sergio Roberto from Barcelona have been boosted as he's yet to sign a contract. He'd be an interesting one to bring in for some leadership and some experience. Can play a multitude of positions. That could be a, a clever signing for Arsenal. Uh, West Ham have increased have increased their asking price for Declan Rice from 100 million to 120 million. They're they're trying to price them out of a move and it's going to come back to bite them. Chelsea are considering a summer bid from Max Kilman. We've seen this one before. Uh, Edinson Cavani, who was out of contract at the end of the season, is said to be willing to listen to an offer from Botafogo in Brazil. I'd imagine he'll get a lot of offers from South America. Uh, Christopher Nkunku will cost Manchester United at least 75 million euro if they press ahead with their efforts to sign the 24-year-old. See, that's about what he's worth, but or what about, about what he could be worth, but you want to be getting him lower than that. Newcastle and Aston Villa will lead the chase should Liverpool decide to sell Joe Gomez this summer. Tottenham have come forward with the most firm offer to sign Paolo Dybala. I, I just don't see it happening under Conte. Uh, I think he might go to Inter Milan, to be honest. I think he might go to Inter Milan. Crystal Palace face a fight to hold on to Michael Elise, 
who is wanted by Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Bayern Munich and Lille. They won't need to worry about Lille. They're broke. Uh, Arsenal have no need for him, so I don't believe that. Uh, I don't think he'd go to Everton. Why would he go to Bayern at this point? Like, they've got three great wingers. Unless Gnabry leaves, there's just no logic to it. Chelsea wouldn't surprise me, but if he's smart, he'll, he'll avoid that and he'll stay where he is for now. Uh, Fiorentina are favourites to sign Lucas Torreira after being impressed by performances this season. He has been good. Arsenal could do with him. Liverpool are expected to renew their interest in Latour Martinez. I don't know if there's ever been interest, but I certainly would take him if you could get him. Um, Inter could make a move for Gabriel Jesus if Martinez leaves in the summer. Nottingham Forest have opened up contract talks with Brennan Johnson in a bid to waive off interest from Brentford, Crystal Palace and West Ham. I'd love to see him at Palace. Especially if, if Zaha goes, that's the guy to get to replace him. This is magnificent. Arsenal are set to offer Mikel, and Teta, Mikel Arteta a new contract worth £25 million over three years. Over £8 million a year for Mikel Arteta. You can get good managers for half that. They're going to pay £8 million for him. And finally, Manchester City are close to agreeing a deal for Brazil Youth International Savio. City just hoovering up the best talent from Brazil as and when they get the urge. And that is it for today, folks. That will do us. We will talk to you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the games tonight, whether it's Champions League or Premier League. Plenty on offer with those five. And we will see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.